are headed to Fusion, you are dismissed. Uh, Haley uh, is in the back to walk you over. And so elementary school kids, if you are new here and would like to walk over with your kids to see where they're going, where to pick them up, meet the teachers, please feel free to do that. Uh, well, good morning again. Uh, let me welcome you. Uh, my name is Ray Stewart. I'm the Connections Pastor here, and uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity to share God's Word with you this morning. I'd, I would say to, if you knew or newer here, my heart's desire is that you will find Mount Calvary to be a welcoming place uh, where we just ask uh, for you to come alongside us uh, as we study the Bible and God's Word uh, and as we worship a great and awesome and holy God, and I hope you experience that today. I do want to take a moment before uh, we jump into uh, the sermon this morning just to kind of recognize and give thanks to God uh, for Friday, for the Supreme Court decision on Friday. We, along with many Christians, have longed for and prayed for the day when Roe versus Wade would be overturned, and I, I never honestly thought it would happen. Uh, I just never thought. I, I believe that incremental steps were the best that we were going to do, and I was thankful for the people that fought for those the belief that life begins at conception and that every life is created in the image of God uh, is one that is met with great hostility in our country. And yet that belief not only encourages or spurs on a desire to make abortion unwanted in our country, but a desire for us to strengthen marriages and families, to encourage active fathers in the home, uh, and to support adoption and fostering of children. Uh, Christians have been doing these things and doing them at greater rate uh, than the rest of the country. And if we can encourage you in any way along those journeys or uh, explore those options, please let us know. We have families that have done, uh, that have adopted, that have fostered. Uh, we deeply care about marriages and strong and healthy families. And so we would encourage you to come and talk to us um, today. Join me in prayer just as we give thanks to God. God, I thank you. God, I thank you that you looked down upon us and you looked upon us with compassion because none of us are worthy or deserving of your love or even your notice. And yet we know that you knew us in our mother's wombs. We know that every life is precious to you. Every life is made in the image of you Lord, I pray that you would help us to fight for and to love and to protect people. Lord, I pray that, that you would give us opportunities in this moment in our nation's history to point others to you. Lord, we will not change their minds on arguments, but we can point them to why we believe what we believe. It's because when we were nothing, nothing and worthless, you looked upon us with compassion and came and died for us on the cross that we might have life. We thank you for that. We're amazed by that. Lord, I pray that this, in this time that you give us opportunities to tell people of the hope and the refuge that we have in you and in you alone. It's in your name. Amen. Well, today we're going to continue in our series, One True King, uh, and we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 5 and chapter 6. So if you turn in your Bibles or on your smart device, we'll get to this, the passage in just a minute. But I want to start by talking about fear, healthy fear and unhealthy fear. 
So for the last, uh, most of the last two weeks, my family spent in Washington State with my uh, wife's sister, Stacy, uh, and we got to do some, uh, some amazing things and spend some great time together. But there were several moments during the trip that were fear-inducing, uh, and some of them were healthy, and some of them were unhealthy. Now, Morgan's sister, Stacy, she borrowed, they, they don't have kids themselves, and so she borrowed a minivan from another Army family, and uh, this Army family had had their minivan for over 15 years. It was well-used and well-loved, uh, and uh, it also had very soft brakes, very spongy brakes. And so one day, we went up uh, on the mountain uh, to Mount Rainier. Uh, there's a picture we're going to show you. We, we couldn't even kind of hike on the mountain because there was still 11 feet of snow at the top, but this was at the visitor center. And if you've ever tried to drive down a mountain with soft or spongy brakes uh, in a minivan with, there were seven of us, right? There were seven of us in the van at the time. It can be a little scary. That is a healthy fear, right? There's a healthy fear to say, I'm going to do everything I can to be careful, um, but there's also unhealthy fear. Healthy fear keeps you safe. Unhealthy fear restricts you and keeps you from enjoying an experience that is safe. And so on another day, we got to visit the Space Needle in Seattle. Here's another picture. And this is a picture of us on the observation level of the Space Needle. It's about 500 feet. And what you can see in the background right behind us is there's a big glass wall. Well, what you can't tell is the glass wall is slanted. It leans out. And the, the idea is that it's to give you a greater view of uh, Seattle and everything around it. And so on that glass wall is a bench, but the bench also leans back. So when you sit on the bench, you're going to naturally lean against this glass wall. I am acutely aware of my fear of heights. I do not do things that are scary related to heights. But I am luckily married to a structural engineer, and so when we walked out on the observation deck, I could see the beams that were supporting the glass. I was like, oh, yeah, this is no problem. So I freely sat down. I had no problem enjoying uh, the, the reason it was there. Uh, but we had to encourage some of the kids that it was safe. And I said, if it holds me, it'll hold you. You're going to be okay. Unhealthy healthy fear keeps us safe. Unhealthy fear uh, prevents us or restricts us from enjoying or experiencing something that is safe. And so today, as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 5 and 6, I want you to keep this idea of healthy and unhealthy fear in mind, because the specific topic for today is the fear of the Lord. Now, in, Romans, or sorry, in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, uh, we have a, a very well-known verse that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And so this is the, the context for today's uh, passage. But I need to recap in case, in case you weren't here last week. Ryan, when he, when he preached last week, he left us with a little bit of a cliffhanger. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, uh, the Ark of the, Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, was captured by the Philistines. Right? It had been brought. Uh, the, the Israelite army had gone out to battle. They lost. Uh, and they said, oh, we lost because God was not with us. And so they brought the ark to the camp. The Philistines were immediately afraid, and yet they still went out to battle, and the Israelites lost again, and the ark was captured. And so Ryan left us with this cliffhanger. He said, did God lose? And so he told you to come back this week, so thank you for coming. Uh, 
did God lose? It certainly looks that way, right? God's people have been defeated. God's Ark of the Covenant, which in the end was just a beautiful and fancy box that was a symbol of God's presence and his covenant with the people of Israel, but it was captured. It was something significant for the people of Israel. So the army lost, 30,000 soldiers died, and the ark was captured. Did God lose? No, he didn't lose. It looks like he's lost, but ultimately what we're going to see today in chapter 5 and 6 is that God is just setting the stage for his majesty and his power and his greatness to be displayed to Israel and to the nations. So let's look at chapter 5, verse, the first five verses. We're going to walk through this in chunks together. When the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. And then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and they put him in his place. But when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. And this is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon did not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. See, when the Philistines won the battle and captured the ark, they didn't believe that they had just won a physical battle. They believed that Dagon had won a spiritual battle against Yahweh, the Israelite God. So they believed that a physical, they had won a physical battle and a spiritual battle had been won. And so in, bring, in capturing the ark, they took the ark and they put it in, Dagon, in Dagon's temple so that it he, Yahweh, could serve Dagon. It was a sign of submission that Dagon was superior. He had been proven to be superior. But God had different plans. God had different plans that day. And so the first morning they come and Dagon is fallen on the ground face first before the ark. In the Old Testament, he, he, he's given the imagery of being prostrate before the Lord, of being submitted in submission before the Lord. So while the Philistines believed God had lost God's plan while punishing Israel for their sin was to display his greatness and his majesty to the nation of the Philistines. So that's the first thing I want us to or be challenged by today is that we need to recognize that God is supreme and incomparable. That God is supreme and incomparable. This is what he's trying to teach the Philistines. Dagon didn't compare. So the next day they set him up and the next day, uh, not only does he fall down face first before the ark, but his head and his arms fall off. Just like any other God or idol in our lives that we try to place next to God, that we try to find our hope or security, that we try to find our purpose in, none of them compare to God. Because Yahweh is the one true God. We may use the term God, lowercase g, for descriptions of what other people worship or the idols that we may set up in our own lives, but they are not God. Yahweh is the one true God, and Yahweh is God Almighty, even if people don't believe it. This should encourage us. 
Even if people around us surround us that do not believe that God is real, do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he went to the cross, he died, three days later he was resurrected, and that we trust in him for salvation, even if they don't believe he is still God Almighty. It does not change if people do not believe it. Last week, in chapter 4, the Israelites didn't believe God was truly God. They had set up other gods next to him. They had, they had trusted in other things. What they ultimately wanted God to be was this magic genie that would give them whatever they wanted to live the life that they wanted the way that they wanted. And today, the Philistines, while they recognized before in chapter 4 that Israel's God was powerful, right? They were immediately afraid when the ark came. They recognized that it was powerful. They did not believe he was supreme, and they did not fear him. But God's majesty and power will be displayed to the nations even when God's people failed to do so. Israel failed, and the rock that Dagon was carved from cried out in their place. Third thing related to recognizing that God is supreme and incomparable, I want you to recognize that Yahweh's success, God's success, is not dependent on human hands. When Dagon fell over, they had to, human hands had to come and stand him back up. But God's success does not depend on human hands, and this should encourage us, and this should humble us. He does not need Mount Calvary Church. He does not need you or I to accomplish whatever he wants to accomplish. And yet, he invites us to become children of God by believing in Jesus Christ. And he offers us to be partners with him in whatever he wants to do with accomplishing his work and his will on this earth. He does not need us. He is not dependent on us. He can and will accomplish his will without us. And even when it looks like he's lost, he's still very much supreme and in complete control because there is none like God. And just as we recognize that God is supreme and incomparable, we remember that God is a God of the nations. Let's read verses 6 through 12. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark brought what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the, the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, they have brought around to us the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. And they sent therefore and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place that it may, be not, may it not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there and the men who did not die were struck with tumors and the city 
and the cry of the city went up to heaven. This is a very sobering and difficult passage. We must remember God in chapter, chapter 4, God judged Israel. He judged Israel for living according to the motto that every man should do what is right in their own eyes. God judged Israel for not trusting and believing in him. God judged Israel for loving and worshiping idols and other gods. And his judgment resulted in 30,000 soldiers being defeated in battle and the ark of the Lord being captured. And now in 1 Samuel chapter 5, God is showing that he is also God of the nations. And while he's declaring his greatness to them, he is also judging them for loving and worshiping idols and other gods, for not trusting or believing in him. They knew, they heard, they, they, they knew the stories of how great God was, of how he brought them out of Egypt. They'd seen it amongst the nations, and yet they still did not believe. And so his judgment against the Philistines here is afflicting them with tumors and illness. So the people of Ashdod, right? One of the, there were five capital cities in Philistine, five lords, and Ashdod was one of them. So the capital or the ark was there. They were so scared, so fearful that they sent it to Gath. And then in verse nine, the people of Gath, there was a great panic and tumors broke out among them. So the people of Gath were scared and they're fearful and they sent it to Ekron. And before it even gets to Ekron, Ekron's people cry out and say, in verse 10, they have brought around to us the ark of God of Israel to kill us and our people. They wanted to have nothing to do with it. But God is a God of the nations and he judges fairly. He judges fairly. He judged Israel and the nations equally. He had the same judgment upon each of them for not believing and not trusting and not making him supreme. And we know that today, that God still judges fairly. The Bible tells us that no one, not one, is good. In Romans 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 3, 23. It tells us that we are deserving of the wrath, the wrath of God. That everyone is deserving of the wrath of God in eternity in hell. Romans 6, 23. There's no one in this room today or listening online today that is deserving of the love of God or the forgiveness of God or entrance into heaven. But God, Ryan, Ryan said it up perfectly, but God are two of the most beautiful words in scripture, but God in Romans 5, 8 shows us his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And that whoever confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised them from the dead, they will be saved, Romans 10, 9. And so just as he wants all nations to know today that he alone is God, 1 Samuel chapter 5 and 6, I firmly believe God is declaring his greatness to the nations. He wanted them to know that he alone is God and he alone is worthy of their worship and their allegiance and he welcomed them to come to him. And so that's the second point here under remember that God is the God of the nations. He welcomes everyone who comes to him. And today he invites you to have a healthy fear of him. A healthy fear of him to recognize that he alone is God, that all power and authority belong to him. And he invites you to come and find peace and to find refuge in him alone. But the Philistines' fear of God while real, didn't cause them to fall down in humility, recognizing that God is supreme and incomparable. 
Instead, it caused them to flee God and that their hope was, let's get God away from us so we can live how we want to live. So let's read what happens next in chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us with what we shall send to its place. And they said, If you send away the ark of God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return him a guilt offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand does not turn away from you. And they said, What is the guilt offering that we shall return to him? And they answered, five golden tumors and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. So you must make images of your tumors and images of your mice that ravage the land and give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from off you and your gods and your land. Why should you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts. And after he had dealt severely with them, did they not send the people away and they departed? We see the Philistines in fear and in their fear, they want to escape God. They want to get rid of God in their lives. They want to get rid of the ark. See, fearing God, the creator of the universe, the supreme and almighty God, a holy and righteous God, the right judge of all the earth in whom all power and authority and knowledge rest. Fearing God can be healthy if it leads us to seek to understand him, to know him, if it seeks us, if it leads us to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And sadly, that is not what the Philistines do. They don't seek to know God. They seek to get rid of him. They seek to escape him. And the lesson for us today in that recognizing that God is supreme and incomparable, in remembering that God is the God of the nations, we should seek to know the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek to know the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The priests here seem to have some knowledge of God, right? They, they're asked about what, what should they do. They talk about a guilt offering. They talk about knowing the stories of Israel and Egypt and how God brought them out of Egypt. They seem to know some things about God. And so they, they, they say, you need to make a guilt offering. If you want to read more about guilt offerings in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 5, verses 5 through 10 And Leviticus chapter 6, verses 2 through 7 will give you the picture of the guilt offering. But the guilt offering was a restitution. It was a repayment. It it was typically related to someone stealing or damaging property of somebody else. And so here, they had stolen the ark of God from the people of God, and they were repaying. They were having to repay it. And only after you made your, uh, your restitution or your repayment, what was owed and extra, could an individual seek forgiveness from God? And we're not going to look at it today, but, but later in the chapter, when the ark of God is brought back to Israel, it is, carried, it is, is led on a cart by two cows, and those cows are offered to God as an offering as well. The priests are saying, you not only have to return the ark, but you have to provide this additional offering as restitution, five golden tumors and five golden mice because the tumors afflicted them. And at some point in the passage, it talked about the mice ravaging the land. 
And then the priest encouraged him, in your fear, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. The Philistines feared the Lord, but they didn't want to know him. They just wanted to escape him and escape his judgment. The fear of the Lord is only the beginning of wisdom. For us, we can't stop short of just, or can't stop short with just fearing God. We have to seek to know him, to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Reading your Bible is not a checklist that you get to check for God's approval. It's not a spiritual deposit in the bank that you can withdraw in times of trial. But to know this great and mighty God, that's why we read the Bible. To know uh, who created the heavens and the earth, who, who fearfully and wonderfully made every person here and every child that is conceived, who knows the number of hairs on all of our heads and knows the words that we will speak before they are even on our tongues. And in all of this, in his greatness and in his majesty, in his power and his glory, God has chosen to be mindful of man. He's taking notice of us. He's mindful of you. He knows your deepest doubts and your darkest sins. You can hide nothing from God. You can hide stuff from your parents. You can hide stuff from your spouse. You can hide stuff from each other, but you cannot hide from God. He knows everything about you, everything you do or say or think. And yet, he has still chosen to love you. He is still chosen in your depravity. He is still chosen to love you and show you how much he loves you by sending Jesus to die on the cross. May we never get tired of that. Draw near to God in prayer. Draw near to God in his word. Ask God to help you see his majesty and his power, his grace in his word and in your life. If we read this Bible just for head knowledge, we may miss the wonders and the beauty of who God is. We may miss the powerful testimonies of his grace and the awesome wonder of how he calls people to him. So with that in mind, let's, <clears throat> uh, we don't have time to finish out the chapter, but, but I want to read three more verses, verses 7 through 9. Now then, this is with the priest telling them what they are to do. Now then, take and prepare a new cart and two milk cows on which there has never come a yoke, and the yoke the cows to the cart, but take their calves home away from them. And then take the ark of, of the Lord and place it on the cart and put it in, put in a box at its side the figures of gold, which you are returning to him as a guilt offering. Then send it off and let it go its way, returning and let it go its way and watch. If it goes on the way, to its own land, to Beth Shemesh, then it is he who has done us this great harm. But if not, then we shall know that this is not the hand that struck us and it happened to us by coincidence. The Philistines are returning the ark and even after all the hardships in Ashdod and in Gath and in Ekron, they still have some lingering doubts. They still have some lingering doubts and so they're giving a test they're, they're not only going to try to return it, but they're like, well, if it doesn't make it, then we know it wasn't really God. So they take two dairy cows that have never been yoked, uh, that have young calves, and they are saying they're going to have to go seven miles to Beth 
Shemesh, a place they've never been, and that's going to be the test. Philistines would know that Israel's God is really the cause if that happens. In verse 14, that's exactly what happened. They go without delay to Beth Shemesh. Now, I don't know anything about cows, okay? I know nothing about anything outdoors. So I reached out to a local uh, expert in dairy cows and asked him how strange this was. And so Justin Risser shared some thoughts with me on, on this reality of cows uh, and doing the will of God. Cows by nature are, these are some thoughts that he shared. Cows by nature are creatures of habit. And while they can wonder and be curious, they always make their way home. And the fact that these cows, this is one I never would have seen. He said the fact that these cows had never been yoked was amazing that they would be able to even have a trip successful. He said, if you're going to a fair and you're taking animals to a fair and you're going to yoke them, you have to train them on how to walk together or else they're going to work against each other. And they're not going to make progress. And so the fact that these, these cows had never been yoked, and they'd never been trained, and yet they're going to walk seven miles together successfully is an amazing thing. And lastly, for your cow education for this morning, uh, these cows had young uh, calves that they were still feeding, and they were separated. They said, take and separate them from their calves uh, away from home. And so they separated them. Their calves would have been crying out for their mothers, and the mother's natural inclination would not have been to go away from their babies, but to go to them. And so marvel at the sovereignty of God. Marvel at the sovereignty of God who even directs the steps of cows. Nothing is beyond his power or his ability. He declares his majesty and his greatness and his glory for the world to see. He does not lose. One of the last things, or one of the last things that we got to do in Seattle was we got to go on a whale sightseeing tour. And so here's a couple pictures of uh, orcas that we saw and uh, humpback whale that we saw. And the thing that struck Morgan and I, because uh, we talked about it on the boat, was the amazement and astonishment that people had when they saw a whale. Every time a whale would break water, there would be gasps, audible gasps from people in amazement, and everybody would point, and th there would be this look of wonder on their face. Many of them had no idea that they were worshiping the creator God, God Almighty, for what he had done. I longed for them to see that and to understand how amazing God was, that in his imagination and creativity, he made these creatures. He structured the ecosystem for them to be able to live and thrive. See, that's a result of fearing the Lord that leads to understanding that leads to insight, leads to knowledge. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the one, Holy One is insight. Fearing Him is the first step into leading us to knowing Him fully. If you're here today, God is still God, even if you don't believe it. And yet He invites you 
He invites you to be his adopted child, not on the basis of anything you've done or not done, not on the basis of how good you are or on some, any promises that you make, but despite those things, he invites you to become an adopted child of God. And today, the band's gonna come in just a minute and do another song, uh, and as they lead us, I wanna invite you to talk to God. If you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, I want you to invite, I want you to sit and talk to God today. As they play, confess to God you're a sinner and that you've tried to live your life your own way without him, but you want to make him the one true king of your life today. And today, if you have trusted him, maybe you're not walking in fear of his judgment or as Ryan said, you're trying to sit on the throne yourself or you're putting other gods or other idols next to him and trying to get what you want out of life instead of what Yahweh offers you, believing that Yahweh, what he offers is not enough. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. I'm amazed that you care about each and every person in this room, each and every person online today. I'm amazed that you have even taken notice of us and that you offer us salvation in your son, Jesus Christ. You did not have to do that. It was a choice that you made. It was something we could never be worthy or deserving of. And yet you looked at us and said, you are worth the cost. Lord, may we continually stand in amazement. Lord, may we have a healthy fear of of your greatness and your power and your authority. But may we come and find rest beneath your wings of refuge. God, help us to truly see that there is no one and nothing that compares to you. And that you are our God and you are the God of the nations and you desire and welcome all to come and believe in Jesus Christ. God, we thank you.